you so much. But it's good to be with you. Uh, whether you're in the BJ Hahn or you're listening in your apartment or dorm or online somewhere else, I want to tell you that this morning is going to be good news. It's going to be good news. That's, that's what the gospel of Jesus is. It's good news. It is not bad news. And it seems in our time when we are surrounded by such pervasive bad news on our news feeds and social media and the TV and everything that is, I just, I don't know, we're just weary. We're kind of at the time in the semester where you're, you didn't even have your fall break and so you're longing for Thanksgiving that's even shorter and, and maybe you just come here tired and discouraged and just kind of, kind of want to throw your hands up and you're just kind of sick of it all. Um, I just want to tell you that it's going to be good news this morning. We are in a series, basically Christianity will have power. We're going through Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 14. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at each word, each characteristic, each description of Christ and digging into it just a little bit. Colossians chapter 3 uh, verse 12 said, says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness or meekness, and patience. Today we come to the word patience. What does it mean to be patient? I think sometimes we assume patience is when you're behind a slow driver and you need to have patience so you don't pass them, especially on Highway 75, anyone just gets stuck behind semis all the time and they go so, and just frustrating, especially when you're going home or trying to get somewhere. Sometimes we describe patience as, you know, maybe it's the line uh, when there used to be meal exchange. I know, sore subject, I won't bring it up. I, d I guess I did. But right the line at 1.30, afternoon meal exchange and it's forever and you have to wait. We, we, we describe patience as, as that sometimes, or maybe it's at the grocery store and you all, anyone always pick the wrong line? You get behind kind of the old woman, sorry, no, no, they write their checks, who writes checks? Old people, sorry, no, that's bad. I love old people if you're listening online. Uh, my parents are kind of old, they're probably listening, all right, okay, so. Anyway, or, or maybe it's when you're, my personal pet peeve, you can ask my wife, is when you get slow service at a restaurant. And you want, like, I'm angry thinking about it, right? Like, it, it, it's like I'm paying for you to give me good service. And it's, anyway, sometimes we think patience in those areas. But patience is so much more than that. Patience, yes, we can exhibit patience in those places. But here's how some commentators define patience. Patience or long-suffering endures wrong and puts up with the exasperating conduct of others rather than flying into a rage or desiring vengeance. I'm gonna read that just one more time. Patience or long suffering endures wrong. It puts up with the exasperating conduct of others rather than flying into a rage or desiring vengeance. This word in the Greek can be literally translated long-tempered. We use the term short-tempered when somebody gets angry quickly, right? They go into rage, but long-tempered. I was reminded this week that also in the Hebrew, it actually can be translated long-nosed, 
right? Because I think when you, when you go into a rage, you, it just gets into your face. I have a picture of my son, Judah, up here. This is him flying into a rage. I want you to, yeah, th- no, I'm just, that's not my son, actually. Uh, but I was trying to, like, get my son, my, my son, Judah, who's 15 months. He kind of flies into, like, he's kind of a rage monster right now because he wants to do things he can't physically do yet. Like, he wants to walk all the way across the room, and he can only do half. He wants to open up this toy, but he can't do it. And as soon as he can't do it, he just, I mean, he throws the toy, and he, he looks like that. And so I was trying to get him angry this week, but I could not. It just looked sad. So maybe I'm a bad dad for doing that. But he, it's kind of the opposite of my my son Judah is what patience is. I'm just, he's so sweet too. I love him. He's incredible. Um, he'll watch this someday and be angry. But patience, long-suffering, patience is so much more than just waiting in a line or waiting for our food. Patience is the pace of God. Patience is the pace of God. We look in the Old Testament. Think about the Israelites walking. They were just delivered from Egypt, from slavery. God led them through the Red Sea, and already on the other side, they were already complaining. They needed food. They needed drink. Moses was meeting with God. It was too long. What did they do? They started worshiping an idol. They made an idol and worshiped another God. They complained about the giants and the land God promised them. They complained about Moses's leadership We can go to the prophets. The prophets were constantly calling Israel back to repentance because Israel began to look like the world and wanted to worship gods like the world and have kings like the world and begin to have power like the world. But you know what the two most common responses by God to his people are throughout the Old Testament? Read the Old Testament and you'll see these throughout. You know what he says? He says, I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. The other one that you see throughout all of scripture, God says, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. Despite the wrongdoings of the Israelites, despite the sins that they committed against God, the rejection of God for the things and the power and the gods of the world, God says, I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. You are my people, and I will be your God no matter what. God endured the wrongs of Israel. He was patient. Patience is the pace of God. And if patience is the pace of God, I think that's best exemplified in the person of Jesus, who was God, who is God. And so today, the good news is I want you to receive the patience of God. He is patient toward us and our sin. And if we want to put on any of the characteristics we've been talking about, if we want to put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, we must receive them from Jesus himself first. And so that is the hope this morning, is that you will simply have open hands to receive God's patience towards you. So we're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning to talk about patience. It is a familiar passage. It's the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I'm going to start reading for us. If you have your Bibles, you can open it. If not, it'll be on the screen. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, and the law, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say, Jesus? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. To set the scene a little bit, Jesus is in the temple. He's at church. He's in temple probably didn't look like the BJ Han, but it was a setting like this. He's teaching people, right? He's at church and all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees burst in. What I, I'm going to step on these candles. Anyone want one? Here you go. Um, all right. He, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees burst in and he's teaching the people and they come in with this woman who is caught in the very act of of adultery. And scripture says, and they place her in their midst. I'm, I'm assuming this woman who was caught in the act of adultery didn't have time to maybe get fully clothed after the fact, right? Probably the, as the Pharisees were, I'm assuming they were waiting outside. I don't really know how it happened, but they took her. I'm assuming she, she's probably naked or at least covered up with some sort of sheet or covering that she quickly grabbed on the way out or she's covering up with her hands and they take her to church and they throw her in the middle of all of these men. And they say, you know what? The law of Moses says to stone her. Can you imagine this? Well, first of all, where's the man? That's, that's another story. But can you imagine this woman? The shame, the humiliation, the embarrassment, the condemnation of being caught in, her, in the act of adultery. Being caught. Think, put yourself in the situation. You were caught in your darkest moment, in your biggest doubt, in your most regrettable act. And you were thrown in the middle of the B.J. Han as Jesus is teaching and you are battered and you are scared and you are naked. Can you imagine that? That's the scene that we have here. And, and the men surrounding her had stones. They were ready to kill her. They were ready to execute her. They were ready to murder her. They were ready to retaliate in anger and rage at this woman's behavior, at this woman's sin. They're impatient. Similarly, I think we, we do this sometimes. We jump to conclusions about people, right? We, we, we think to ourselves, how can they think that? How can they do that? How could they fill in the blank? Why we jump to condemnation and judgment before we seek understanding. 
If you were to ask that woman, I almost guarantee she wouldn't have wanted to be in the moment of caught in the act of adultery. She wouldn't have been, I don't know the power that was at play. I don't know the decisions that led up to that moment of being, of committing adultery. I'm not sure. But if you ask any person, any addict, any sin, anything, they don't want to be there. And we're so quick to jump to condemnation and judgment before seeking understanding and extending grace and patience towards someone in their actions or their thoughts. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they say, Jesus, God's word, the law of Moses, tells us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And it's important that Right, the scribes and the Pharisees, their whole purpose, they, they're the religious leaders of the day. Part of their role was to uphold the, the morality of the community. They, they were called to, in some ways, enforce or live by and enact God's law for the sake of the community. But, but if, we, if we go in, they, they weren't actually doing this. The text tells us, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. I think the most concerning part of this text is that the Pharisees and the scribes are actually right in their reading of God's word. God's word did say when someone is caught in the act of adultery and really quite a few other sins in the Old Testament, they were to be stoned. And it couldn't just be hearsay. It couldn't just be, well, I heard this happen. It had to be caught in the very act. But the thing is the Pharisees and the scribes did not have pure motives. They wanted to use the woman caught in the act of adultery as a commodity to get what they want to trap Jesus. And that is hypocrisy and a deep, deep evil. Because what they were doing is they were saying, Jesus, are you going to obey God's law and stone this woman? Or are you going to disobey the Roman government? Because the Roman government did not allow the Jewish people to practice capital punishment. That had to come from, from Rome because Israel was underneath Rome's rule. And so they're saying, Jesus, are you going to choose to disobey God's law? Are you going to choose to disobey the Roman government? They were making Jesus choose. They wanted to trap him. So what does Jesus do? What's his response? Well, he bends down and he writes in the dirt. There's a lot of debate on what he wrote. And I don't think it's really that important to get into. But here's what I know that Jesus is doing. He's choosing a third way. He's refusing to choose between the polarities that the religious leaders are giving him. He's refusing to choose to say, yeah, I don't believe God's word. And so uh, I'm not going to stone her. He's refusing to say, yeah, I align myself with the Roman government. And so I'm not going to do that. He, he's refusing to choose between the polarities. And I think our call as Christians, just like Jesus in this text, is not to choose sides. Because the world right now in our culture is telling us you have to be one or the other. You, it is us versus them. And you've been hearing that a lot, I know, but it's what's happening in our culture. It's what's happening in our world. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to choose grace. And I'm going to choose truth. 
and I'm gonna choose compassion, and I'm gonna choose kindness, and I'm gonna choose humility, and I'm gonna choose gentleness, and I'm going to choose patience. I refuse to put myself in one of the camps that you're telling me I have to, and I will choose a third way. It's our call as well. So Jesus arises from the dirt, and in patience, he says these words. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Translation, we're all guilty of God's law. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law of Moses is not wrong. Jesus is not saying disobey God's word. But if we want to take God's word seriously, we will stop our categorization and hierarchy of sin and which sins are worse and who commits them, and we will recognize the sin in ourselves. We will pull out the log of our own, in our own eye before we see the speck in our brother or sister's eye. Now, this is where our cancel culture comes from. Right When some celebrity or political leader or whoever it is commits some sin and we say, okay, we're not going to buy their food or we're not going to follow them on Twitter anymore, right? And, and maybe there's some good to it, probably not. But that, that comes from this categorization and hierarchy of sin. That comes from, you know what, if that person commits that sin, that's worse than me committing that sin. Right, we kind of build this flow chart on which sins are worse and who should be condemned and judged. And I just think we need to recognize the sin in ourselves before we are ready to throw stones at others. And so these men, they dropped their stones and they walked away. They were ready to stone and murder and execute this woman in church and they left. I think, they, I think they recognized their sin to some extent. The words that Jesus spoke pierced their hearts and they dropped them and they left. You know, we may not throw stones. We may not have literal physical stones that we throw at people, but we sure do throw around hurtful and hateful words, whether that be actual words or tweets or posts. We throw around words that humiliate and embarrass. We throw around words that condemn and judge. We throw around words that shame as if words have no meaning at all. You know, the, we all learn this maybe as kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> that might be like the biggest lie from the pit of hell I've ever heard. Uh, like, it, words hurt. Can I just say for like just a quick moment, if you've been hurt by words... Maybe that's all of us to some extent. I'm sorry. If you've been shamed by them and humiliated by them, if you've been condemned and judged because of your sin and your doubts and your wrestlings and your struggles, especially if that's been from the church and from Christians, can I just tell you I'm sorry? If you're listening online, I'm sorry. It's not the way of Jesus. There's a third way. It's grace and it's truth. It's not one or the other. And you know what Jesus says to you in your sin? 
You know what he says in the very act of your sin? You know what he says in the habitual nature of your sin? You know what he says to you in your self-hatred and your fear and your doubts and your anxiety? You know what he says in your addiction to pornography? You know what he says to you with with your struggle with self-image and your eating disorder? You know what he says to you in your depression? You know what he says to you in your disordered sexual desires that you just don't know what to do with? You know what he says to you in your greed and any other sin? Do you know what he says? He says, child... Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I. He says to you in the very act of your sin, he says, child, where are your accusers? Where are the whispers and the lies of the enemy? Where are all the self-righteous people? telling you that you're worth nothing and then you're not good and then you're not loved and that you're not forgiven. You know where they are? They're gone. They're not here. They are gone. You are not condemned. You are forgiven. You are loved and you are set free. Can you imagine this woman in the text? Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then she says these words, no one, Lord. This woman, shaken up, partly naked, humiliated and embarrassed and shamed, caught in the very act of adultery. And she says, no one, Lord. Can you imagine the feeling, the freedom, the burden that was lifted, the fear that fled, the shame that was removed in that moment? Jesus was patient and present with this woman in her sin. Too many Christians right now, who I really actually believe mean well, are speaking and teaching and preaching judgment from a place of anger and from a place of rage and from a place of impatience. Too many Christians in the church, and and me included, do this. Maybe not verbally, but in my mind and in my heart, I judge and I condemn. Too many Christians are preaching judgment in the facade of truth. And what I mean by that is they, they are like the Pharisees taking God's word and saying, here is what God's word says. But they're lacking compassion and they're lacking grace and patience with people. We in some ways think it's our job to defend God's word as if God needs any defending. He's God. It's never just truth and it's never just grace. With Jesus, it is always grace and truth. And isn't the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of this text, they are right in their reading of God's word, but they are so, so wrong in their response. And can I just, can I go on a bit of a rabbit trail? I'm, I don't know why I'm asking. I'm going to do it. But I just think about Jesus and his ministry. I think about Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, the beginning, near the beginning of the gospel of Luke, Jesus announces his ministry. This is how he describes his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The way that Jesus describes his ministry is one of favor. It's one of blessing. It's one of healing. It's one of freedom. It's one of liberty. It's one of deliverance. It's one of good news. And what's really interesting in this text, Jesus is actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And he actually doesn't finish verse 2. He leaves a portion of this out. Jesus, I think it'll be thrown up on the screen, Isaiah chapter 61, um, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Jesus is quoting. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you know what he leaves out? And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stops in the middle of a verse. He leaves it out. He doesn't say it. He doesn't speak it. Jesus leaves out judgment. Why? Because his ministry is about freedom and healing and compassion and goodness and, and, and gentleness and patience. Judgment's coming. I don't want you to hear me wrong. Judgment is coming, but that is for God upon his return. But right now is the time of the Lord's favor. The apostle Peter even describes it like this. He says this. As people were questioning, there's even one right there, wow. Still going, I'll go, anyway. The apostle Peter describes it like this as people are beginning to say, why isn't God coming back? He says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is it the time of the Lord's favor? Because he does not want any to perish and he wants all to reach repentance. Any and all, the worst of sinners, that means me and you, any sin or any vice, any sexual orientation or any doubt, any wrestling, any struggle, any fear, he wants all people. And so he's saying now is not the time of judgment. Judgment is coming, I promise there will be judgment upon my return but now Christians church defender nation is the time of the Lord's favor and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience so can we stop throwing our stones in the name of truth and begin to put on patience and I want to clarify something this does not mean that Jesus doesn't care about sin it's actually just the opposite. Go be, going back to John chapter eight, here's how he ends the text. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then I want you to hear this. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Patience in someone's sin or wrongdoing or forgiveness of it is not the same thing as tolerance of sin. Tolerance is such a low ethic. Let love be our ethic. Let love be our standard. Jesus was not tolerant of sin. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? You know what he said about adultery? He said, if you even look at someone with a lustful intent, you have committed adultery in your heart. He takes sin more seriously than the scribes and the Pharisees of this text, yet he has patience and grace. Why? Because he knows it's patience that leads to repentance. It's kindness that leads to repentance. Not condemnation and not judgment. 
I love how the Passion Translation puts this verse. This is how they say it. They say, looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, listen, be free from a life of sin. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Jesus doesn't say, keep on sinning. Jesus doesn't say, I don't care about adultery. Jesus doesn't say, let's just let grace abound. But he says, go and be free from a life of it because he knows kindness and patience and compassion lead to repentance. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what struggle you have. I don't know what sin and shame and hurt you are carrying or you're bearing. But here's what I wanna tell you, that Jesus has patience towards you and your sin. He says, go. I do not condemn you. Go and be forgiven. Go as a loved child of the living God. He says, now is the time of the Lord's favor. Here's my compassion and here's my grace and here's my love and here's my patience towards you. Do you see the difference between the quick anger and rage of the religious leaders and the slow, patient, long-suffering of Jesus? Judgment and anger lead maybe to behavior change, changing your behavior, but the kindness and the patience of Jesus leads to a transformed heart. Patience is the pace of God. And you know the only time that Jesus runs, that Jesus is in a hurry in scripture? I didn't do an exhaustive study. You can send me an email and correct me if I'm wrong. But you know the only place that I could think of that God himself is in a hurry is actually impatient in scripture? It's when a lost child's returning home. I was struck by this in the story of the prodigal son, right? A son asks for his inheritance, asks for his money. He goes and squanders it in reckless living. He goes and and spends it on prostitutes and debauchery and the things of the world. The father allowed him, it was patient in letting him go. Coming to the end of himself, the son finally realized that he needed to return home. And here's the description in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this father saw him and felt compassion and ran. And ran. The father ran and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. God is patient with our rebellion and with our sin, but he is quick and unrelenting in his grace and in his favor and in his forgiveness and in his acceptance. So I don't care where you're at this morning. I don't care what you've done, but I hope you find yourself this morning. This is gonna sound weird. I hope you find yourself this morning in the place of the woman caught in the act of adultery. I hope you find yourself in the place of the rebellious prodigal son because it's the place of having no other option other than Jesus. It's the place of power. It's the place of dependence. It's the place where we can receive patience. So receive it and be transformed by it. And put it on and extend it to others. We're gonna close with a song. It's a new song. I wanna invite you just to stay seated for a few minutes and to receive it. And then Damon is going to invite you to stand and cry out and worship. Patience is the pace of God. Receive it this morning. He's the Son of God.
is good news. So where you find yourself this morning and this week and in this season in whatever fear in whatever doubt in whatever sin, in whatever struggle return home the place of embrace by the Father the place of no condemnation the place of compassion kindness and humility, the place of God's patience towards you and your sin, that you find yourself in that place and receive it. Be transformed by it. It's in the patience of Jesus where new obedience is found. And put it on and wear it and extend it to others. So go out of this place receiving and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, the year of his compassion and his grace and his faithfulness and his kindness towards you, his son, his daughter. Just go and receive that. Have a good week. Have a good day. Finish the semester well. <laughs>